All right, so we've got Brandy and Rachel, and Stacy's going to join us here in a minute. But there's this, like, really cool day today. You guys know what it is? It's Sunday. <laughs> I like that. It's Sunday, and it's Mother's Day. And I realize that Mother's Day um, can be full of joy for some people, but also a reminder of loss for others, okay? And so um, here at First Baptist, we just want to encourage uh, that we're a church that weeps with those who weeps and rejoices with those who rejoice, right? And so there's a sense that sometimes days like Mother's Day or Father's Day bring up some sadness. We can rejoice for one another for the moms, both physical moms, and I'm going to use the term spiritual moms and adopted moms that many of us have. Um, and so I've asked these ladies to come and share about uh, what are some of the greatest joys of motherhood, and then what are some of the greatest challenges of motherhood. And men, I want you to take particular note because you're going to hear amens probably from some of the ladies around uh, as they share some of these, okay? So Brandy, tell us a little bit about some of the joys and some of the challenges of motherhood. Okay, Shane, I'll do that. I'm going to start with challenges. We have got bad person to focus on. Let that linger. So I pondered over what the greatest challenge of raising children would be. And while there are several different things that came to mind, I think the hardest one I've encountered so far in having a 10-year-old and soon-to-be 14-year-old would be when we have to let them learn on their own. That is a huge Ooh. challenge as a mom to let your kids in essence, fall on their face and learn the hard way. And so as they grow, that is a hard thing to do in my mind. Uh, and with joy, this one I told my family that I was having a hard time with joy because there's so many things. And so I had one that just stood out to me as being more mom joy, but then one that's deep. So can I have two? You can have two. Okay, Should we give her two? Two? Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> so when I think of joy with being a mom, I absolutely love wake up cuddles. That is my ultimate thing, is just wake up cuddles and hugs. And so I just really appreciate that. But then on a deeper level, I love being a mom because it has helped me to understand more of how God loves when that sacrificial love can come into play of being mm. a parent. And so I'm very blessed to have two little ones that I can look to. That's awesome. Thank you, Brandy. All right. Go ahead, Miss Rachel. All right. So, Wow. Mine are related, so I'll start with joy. Um, the greatest joy for me, and I have younger kids. My oldest is seven. And uh, just watching them learn, because they pick up so many things uh, in the world and in church, and just watching them pick those things up and use them and connect dots has been such a great joy for me. Hmm. The greatest difficulty with that <laughs> is when they start to pick up the bad things. Ooh. And they see, oh, mommy, that, that person did a bad thing. Why did they do that? Oh, maybe, maybe they don't the bad thing. So that's fun. Uh, cool. Uh, I think we maybe won't have Stacy list. That's okay. That's okay. Hey, you guys, we just uh, here at First Baptist want to thank you, moms. Um, and we say moms, physical and spiritual, like I'm looking back at Janice, who I think many of you claim as your, as your adopted mom. I see some head. Yeah, I see Carol, you know, you know, I just want to honor a, a woman like Janice and, um, 
women, when you invest in others and you take on that, that heavenly role of mom, it's pretty amazing. And it is discipleship and it is such an important role uh, in, in healthy churches, healthy families. And so we want to say we see you. We thank you for all of your sacrifices. So guys, give them one more round of applause. Moms, thank you. Well, as many of us know that parenthood comes with lots of surprises, doesn't it? And uh, I think um, that's going to be a great illustration for us. As we look into the book of Mark, we are going to be in Mark chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verse 7. Mark chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verse 7. And uh, we're going through the book of Mark, and the book of Mark is all about... Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And we've seen a lot of things uh, about who Jesus is. Today, we're going to be looking at the fact that Jesus is the one who sends. He is the one who sends. Um, I want to think about this a little bit. There's this thing about kids that they have a tendency to reveal things that sometimes we're like, Oh, that shouldn't have been shared. Has anybody had some things about you shared by your kids that you're like, I wish people really didn't know that, but thanks to the fact that I have kids, God is humbling me. Okay, I see a few people laughing, so you know uh, what that feels like. I'm, I looked online and I found a lot of illustrations or pictures of things that kid drew, kids drew when they went to school. And uh, this one was particularly kind of funny is this is what mom looks like in the morning. Apparently she has a mohawk. <laughs> and this is what mom looks like when she's going out. I'm sure this mom was a little like, oh, that might have been an overshare. Okay, here's another one. Many of you may see that. Now brace yourself. It's not what it seems. But kids drew this. They said, when I grow up, I want to be like mommy. And there's a qualifier, so don't worry, your pastor's not crossing the line here. So uh, the qualifier for this picture is, um, so the mom sent a letter into the teacher to explain the picture. To whom it may concern, I want to be very clear, it is not me on a dance pole. I work at Home Depot and was explaining to my daughter how I had people fighting over buying the last shovel during the past snowstorm. That's a shovel. Okay, we can giggle, we can laugh in church, it's okay. But there's kind of this sense that sometimes kids have a tendency to reveal things about their parents. As a youth pastor, I always saw, um, it, sometimes I would get a better or more accurate picture about what was going on at home than most. Teachers, some of you know, right? Teachers know this all too well, that uh, kids have a tendency to communicate uh, about what is going on. See, when Jesus sends us into the world, we have this unique responsibility that we are trying to communicate who God is to a world that's kind of blind to him sometimes, okay? And sometimes we do a really good accurate picture and other times it can be kind of misleading, right? Like the picture. Well, Jesus in this passage that we're going to read, he's going to send out the disciples and it's going to show how he sends the disciples. It's going to show about a lot about who he is as the sender. Okay, so we're going into this passage with this idea that this is going to reveal who Jesus is by how he sends out, 
How does he send? Tells us about who Jesus is. And by the way, if you're here and you're like, Pastor, I don't believe that God is sending me out to communicate him to the world. I'm just gonna rip this Band-Aid off. There's this thing called the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is for all believers always. You are to go into the world because uh, he says, all authority has been given to me, that's Jesus. So now go into all the world, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I commanded you. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And so all of us essentially are sent by Jesus. We're sent by Jesus, okay? So let's read the passage here, Mark 6, 7, and then we're gonna run through what does, how Jesus sends the disciples tell us about who Jesus is, Mark 6, 7. And he called the, the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, then they will not listen to you. When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. All right, let's pray. Would you pray with me real quick? Lord Jesus, I pray that as we run through this passage, God, that you would show us, reveal to us uh, how you send us, but also what you send us with and how you send us um, in your power. Lord, I just pray that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first thing I, I want us to pull out of this passage here is the first thing that Jesus does. What does he do? He pulls you close before sending you. You need to see in this passage with the 12 disciples, he did what? He called the 12. It says, some of your uh, texts will say, he summoned the 12 and began to send them out. And so there's the sense that they have a closeness with Jesus before he just sends them out. Jesus has a tendency to pull us close before he sends us out. This is a principle for us that's really important. As believers, as Christians, the best gift or the greatest gift that you have to offer this world is a thriving relationship with Jesus. By the way, that applies to every aspect of your life. The best gift you have to give to your marriage is a thriving relationship with Jesus. Does that make sense? So there's, there's this sense that Jesus pulls us close to him before he sends us out. Um, I wonder sometimes how, how many of us don't share the gospel and it's because really there is no closeness with Jesus. I call it intimacy. You guys know the word intimacy stands for into me see. Did you see what I did there? And so for us to be, to be sent out is to be close or looking into God, spending time with him. And so if for those of you who feel ill-equipped to go out, my question would be, how is your relationship with Jesus going? Do you have a walk with him? Do you talk with him? Because if you have a relationship with Jesus, it always results in being sent. Do you notice that in the scriptures? 
When you have a relationship with Jesus, it always culminates in him sending you to others. You guys remember Legion, the demon-possessed man? He came close to Jesus. Jesus delivered him from the demons. And then what did he do? Immediately, Jesus sent the demon, the, the now delivered man to the other side of the Sea of Galilee because Jesus pulls us close and then he sends us out in his name to be ambassadors. You guys know you have several titles given to you in scripture. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have different titles that God speaks over you. It's not because you're impressive or because you deserve them, but it's because God speaks these titles over you. One of them is priest. Do you guys know that every person who is a believer, you're called a priest in scripture? We have this in Peter where it says that you're a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So you're a priest. What is the role of a priest in Old Testament and in today? It's to advocate for right relationship with Jesus. So your job as a believer is to advocate for right relationship with Jesus. Did you guys know you're also called an ambassador? What does an ambassador do? What does an ambassador do? Represents, right? Usually an ambassador represents the nation that they're from, the interests of the nation that we're from. As you guys know, we're sojourners. This is not our nation of home or highest citizenship. Heaven is. And so when we're on this earth, it's our role as ambassadors to function for the interests of heaven. Heaven. And so we are told he, he pulls us close and then sends us out. And so we're representatives of him. Uh, a man that I, I highly respect is a man named Greg Steer. This man's highly gifted and has had, had sent out many teenagers, thousands upon thousands of teenagers to share their faith. And he's done this for many, many years. And he was pulled aside and he was interviewed one day and they asked him, how do you maintain such a fervor for the gospel? And you know what he said? He said, my secret is that I am part monk, part missionary. I'm part monk, part missionary. What does that mean? It means I sit at the feet of Jesus and I prioritize my intimacy, intimacy with him before I go out. And that charges how I share the gospel. How many of you have sometimes thought of the idea of sharing your faith? You're like, one, I'm not gifted. Two, that sounds awful. It sounds scary. It sounds painful like a task. I would say press into your relationship with Jesus because he wants to unlock you to passionate gospel sharing because you want to. But if you're just trying to go out and do a good job being a Christian, how does that work for us usually? Is that a very good motivator to just try to do the good thing? Anybody try to just do good? How's that work for you? and you're all better than I am. I fail miserably when I just try to be a good person. That's why I have to cling to Jesus. I have to cling to the scriptures. I have to have intimacy with him if I'm ever going to share the gospel with anybody with any kind of passionate fervor. And by the way, he pulls them in together as the 12. And that's why a congregation like this, when we come together as small groups, when we come together as a congregation, it's not just to receive, but I heard somebody say, I need my cup filled. That's great. That's why you come to Sunday. But you have your cup filled so that you can do what? We talked about this last week. So you can pour it out, so you can pour it out. But many of us, man, our cups are just empty because we're not drinking of the fountain that will never run dry. 
And man, we're sitting here and we're exhausted because we've been doing church and we've been doing what you're supposed to do, but we can't remember the last time. We just enjoyed being in the presence of God. Am I hitting on something here? There's like some very slate faces, like some, am I hitting on something? Okay. The huddle then, so he pulls us in so that he can send us out. The idea of this huddle, it's okay sometimes to have a holy huddle, but it has to end in what? Every good football team, if they have a huddle on the field, do they just sit there huddling? That'd be kind of silly, wouldn't it? There has to be some strategy and some equipping so that they know the roles they're going to play so they can go and they can score a touchdown, right? Everybody welcome to the huddle, okay? It's our time now not to just stay huddled, but to be strategizing and preparing. It's my job to be equipping and for us to be equipping each other so that we can send out in a strategic way so that God can be glorified. So Jesus, when he sends us out, he pulls us close first before he sends you. Because Jesus sends you. It's the difference between, well, Jesus sent me versus going because you want to be a hero. I think many Christians today want to be a hero or fix something and that's exhausting, isn't it? Because there's like no end to the broke. There's no end to the brokenness. But you, when you walk in with this, I just want to pour out what's been given me. You find out what that does to your life, to your ministry. Find out what that does to your marriage. Find out what that does to your work life. When you're like, I'm just here to pour out what Jesus has poured into me. Have you ever met people like this? You ever talked to people like this? They're kind of awesome to be around, aren't they? Like, man, I kind of like to be around you. You're not here to just take. You're not here to just receive. You've got something pouring out of you. Man, what if we were people that drank so deeply in Christ that so he pulls us close so that he can send us. You cannot give what you don't have. God calls us in Acts. He says, you will be my witnesses to the world, right? Everybody say, I'm a witness. There's another title spoken over you. You're a witness. What does it require to be a witness? If you're a witness of something, you have to, you have to see it first. You can't be a witness if you haven't seen anything, right? That's not a very credible witness. And so for us, we want to be so dialed in with Jesus that, man, we can't help but witness to the things that we are seeing. Man, what if we were a people that encountered God so powerfully that we just had to share here are my yay gods, yay gods for the week. Here are the things that God did this week. How many of you came into church, not just with an empty cup, but you've been pouring out all the week and you're like, can't outpour God pouring into you. And you're like, you come and you come to church and you're like, guys, you won't believe what happened this week. I got to share the gospel. I saw somebody grow closer in relationship to Jesus. I got to encourage somebody in brokenness. I got to see some people healed emotionally and physically. What if we came to church ready to share those stories? Boy, we would sing, oh, praise him with some gusto, wouldn't we? Guys, I think that's what church is supposed to be. A time where we come together and we're just like, dude, look what God has done. But it requires for us to sit at his feet. We have to assemble to be sent. He pulls us close before he sends you. Next, he's a team leader and not just a personal trainer. Here's what I mean by that. Did he send them out one by one? He sent them out two by two. He's a team leader, not just a personal trainer. I think a lot of people get this picture of Jesus. It's like, I have my personal walk with Jesus, okay? Don't talk to me about it. It's mine. 
And there's kind of this sense that we kind of think that Jesus is just, man, he is just functioning in us and he's just worried about what's going on with us. And we get so self-centered that we forget that Jesus has given us a whole big team. And we get so worried about our own little niche, the, the little thing that we've got going on that we forget that Jesus has given us a big old team and he sends us out in partners and teams, doesn't he? That's the idea behind a small group, by the way, that you're sent out as a team, that you're sent out as a team. Jesus is not just, he's, he's not just a personal trainer. He is a team leader. Small groups should be your team. They were sent in pairs. Need someone to know, you need somebody to know how you're really doing. Does that always function in the Sunday service? Everybody know exactly what you're struggling with and what's going on? That'd be kind of hard to do. Like if pastor just started going down the pews, like, okay, tell us what's going on right now. How many of you be like, that'd be terrifying right? We don't do that because, well, that's just not the right thing to do, but there's this sense where we need to be known by people around us because that's how God sends us out in teams. He doesn't send us out as lone rangers. He sent them out in teams. We need confidence. Not once does Jesus send someone on their own. Um, when it comes to the disciples and their ministry, he sent them with others. So let me ask you today, who's your prayer partner? I love this thing in college ministry. They've done year in and year out. They call it beach reach. And on spring break, they go to the beaches that are like the biggest like train wrecks of spring breakers um, that are running away from uh, college and real life. And, <laughs> and at the spring break, they send out teams and they, they cook uh, pancakes the day before uh, spring break. And then what they do is they have two teams. One team sits in this big auditorium and on the screen, they just have prayer requests from other students that are texting them prayer requests. Hey, I just picked up so-and-so. They're drunk. Would you pray for them? Or, hey, I just shared the gospel with so-and-so. And so they, they have the prayer team and then they have the sent team. And they send them out in teams that would go out and they would give DD drives, uh, designated driving. You know, they would make sure that people were safe. They would be there to support and encourage people, pick them up and take them from one place to another. Guys, the last several years that I've been watching these people do this in teams, people get saved. Their lives get changed because you got a team of prayers. You got a team who are sharing because God is a leader of teams, not just your personal trainer. And when we begin to function like a team as a church, that means working together and not just seeing our own responsibility, but working together. Man, what happens? Well, the gospel goes out. <clears throat> we can go into hostile territory. You need some, you, when you go into hostile territory, you need to have someone uh, who has your back. Um, and oftentimes, are there at-risk areas and populations in our city and in our county? Yeah, who's going after them? Because here's a secret, Jesus sends us to the world. And so that means sometimes we've got to walk into at-risk areas, but we do we do it alone? No, sometimes we go into hostile areas like college campus, for example, right? Have you ever tried to have a conversation with atheists on a college campus? It's so much better to have somebody right next to your side who's praying for you while you engage in those conversations. See, we're meant to be sent out as teams and we're meant to be sent into hostile territories. Remember the whole crux of the book of Mark, he's standing before what they call the gates of hell. And Jesus is gonna say in this book that the gates of hell will not stand against us. 
That's not defensive language. What is that? That's offensive language. That we're literally, as the church, supposed to raid the gates of hell. That sound like a good day job? How many of you go into your workplace? You're like, I am raiding the gates of hell today in Jesus' name. Where's my partner? Let's get after it. He's a team leader and not just a personal trainer. I'm going to keep going here. He has the authority to back you up. Whenever Jesus sends, you're going to see the language he uses often. Like in the Great Commission, he first said, all authority has been given to me. Everybody say authority. And so here's the idea. The idea is as you go and you share and you walk into some of these hostile places, the promise is, is that God has the authority to back you up. God has the authority to back you up. Some of you need to hear that today. When you walk into your place of work, you need to know that Jesus has the authority to back you up. What does that mean? Well, I think about as a college pastor, a story for me is uh, when we were doing college ministry, we uh, had been handing out Bibles. The administration, somebody in the administration got really mad that we had been handing out Bibles on campus. We had every permission to, but somebody got mad. There were complaints and they went to the administration and one of the administration ladies had come to us and said, I want Shane and Becky off campus forever. I want them banned from campus. And they confiscated all of the Bibles that we had given out, which by the way, we had every permission to do. Many of us, you know, it's like, what do you do? Do you get mad? Do you start looking at lawsuits? What do you do? We began to pray. Turns out that's the most powerful thing you can do, brothers and sisters. Because as we began to pray, we were like, okay, we don't know what to do. She came to us, came to our faculty advisor, said, I want them off campus. We began to pray, and we began to ask others to pray for us on that campus. And as we walked back on campus, that very same lady came up to us and said, I'm glad you're here. I'm open to you guys being here. I never got an explanation for what happened. All I know is when you walk into a hostile area, who goes before you? because he has the authority to back you up. You're not walking in alone. So he wants you to go in pairs. And then he also wants you to know that you're going with him. And so sometimes he's gonna work out the miraculous. And, and here he's saying, you're gonna come across, is there, is there, are we working against powers and principalities on this earth? Are there things working against us that we can't see? This is yes. Okay. I know I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. We didn't talk about spiritual warfare very often because it was kind of scary. But there, we are in, the Bible says, a spiritual battle. There are things going on that are unseen. And so when we walk in and we start to see things happen in the Lord, what happens? There's pushback, isn't there? I'll tell you guys, for every step forward, even in the last nine or 10 months that we've had here at First Baptist, when God accomplishes something, you can almost time your clock that a day later something will happen that's pushed back because we're in a battle. But you know who has the authority to fight our battle? Christ. Christ. It's kind of like this. When you walk into wherever you're going, it would be like, I'm here in the name of the president and I'm speaking for him. Many of you would be like, oh, I should probably listen. But if I was here and I was like, I'm here speaking on behalf of Burger King, <laughs> you'd listen. <laughs> like, man, I'm hungry. <laughs> that sounds good, right? There's a difference in authority there, right? Hopefully, <laughs> I'm thankful, Myron, that maybe we can go to Burger King afterwards together. 
But hopefully you would take that more seriously because authority is more weighted on the president. When we walk into a room, we carry with us the authority of Jesus and therefore we, we don't fear and we don't fear about what we're gonna say. Did you know the Bible even says that he will give us the right words in the right moment? And so if you're one of those people that really doesn't know how to prepare, start trying to prepare but don't let that hold you back from stepping in because the Bible says, for those who have the Holy Spirit, he will give you the right words at the right time. You ever had this happen? Where you're like, I have no idea what I'm gonna say to these people. And you walk in and you're like praying the whole time. You're like, oh my goodness, they're smarter than me. They're more affluent than me. I have no idea what I'm going to say. And it's like, God gives you the right words at the right moment. And you're kind of like, I wish I would have written that down because that was not me. Who was that? That was the Holy Spirit. Many of us, the reason we haven't experienced something like that is because we're not going out and we're not giving God an opportunity to have our backs because we want to stay safe. You see what I'm saying? And you want to see the movement of God and his authority in your life to remove boundaries in front of you for preaching the gospel? Start living on the offensive in Jesus' name. He has the authority to back you up. Here he says, this is bizarre. Jesus sends them out and he says, don't take an extra shirt. Don't, you know, just take what you need. Don't take a bag. Don't prepare any food. How many of you like, dude, I get hungry. What is Jesus trying to show the disciples here? That he will provide what you need if you live on mission. He will provide what you need. I remember talking to a college student one time and I was like, hey, we have this missions trip and I presented it to him. It was like an all summer mission. And he goes, he goes, I just don't know if I can do that. I have bills to pay. I have all these things to do. And we sat down and we just prayed. And he, he walked away from that, that he's like, I have to go on this, but I have no idea how I'm going to afford it. And it's a couple weeks later, so we just began to pray. And I talked to him a little bit later and I came to him. This is a college guy. Are you ready for this? I said, okay, so how are we going to provide for you? He says, we don't have to. God already did. I said, how did he do that? He said, I sold my car so that I could go and serve Christ. I like my car. How many of you guys are like, I like working on my car, even if I can't ever get it to run. This college student, man, he, he did the big ask and he knew God was calling him. And so he, he sold his car so that he could go on mission and God changed the whole trajectory of his life. Man, sometimes we get into these seasons in life where we're afraid to, to take risks for the Lord and we're afraid to sacrifice because do we trust that Jesus will provide for us? See, Jesus is trying to illustrate that to his disciples when he sends them without things. He says, I've got the things. You give me the willingness. He will provide what you need. Do you believe that, brother or sister? Do you believe that? So take with you nothing. We have passages like, be anxious for nothing. Sometimes provision's gonna come from outside of you, but we know Paul, what did Paul have to do to sustain his ministry? He had to be a tent maker. There was a time... Even in my own ministry, I knew that God was calling me to college ministry, but the thing about college ministry is, is that it doesn't pay well. I mean, the students that you're ministering to live on top of ramen. And so we walked into college ministry like, I don't know how we're gonna do this. I'm gonna find a full-time job and I'm gonna do this college pastoring at the same time. And I did that for four years. And I knew I was doing what God called me to do, but at the same time, I had to do something to support what God had done in my life. So for many of us, like, there may be a season where we have to see that provision come from our own hands through God's work in our lives. 
I'm gonna keep moving here just in the interest of time. So he sends them out. He's trying to illustrate that he will provide for their needs. Next, he expects you to be a good guest. Many of you like rather to have people in your homes. That's more comfortable. Some of you, that is uncomfortable as well. But here he says what? He says, go and stay in the homes of the people. And, and so there's kind of the sense that we, uh, we sit in the home, if you will, of Fremont County Church. Can I say that? Okay. We as First Baptists need to be good guests and work for the benefit of our community, not just stay huddled up and work towards our own interests. And so there's this sense, he sends them out and he says, I want you to stay with people who take you in. And I'll tell you, I lived as a missionary and there's really something to, and you'll see this in Jesus's ministry, when you go and kind of invite yourself, if you notice this thing, Jesus had a tendency to like invite himself into places. Like he would say, you know, hey, Zacchaeus, I want you to throw a party and, and I'm gonna show up, right? So he's like, he's like giving orders and like, he's like, I will be there. Um, and there's, so there's kind of this sense that for us, we need to learn what it means to be a good guest. Jesus was particularly good at going to the party, but not being empty handed. I think of, uh, we have a lot of people as I've been watching some of the neighborhood and kind of seeing what's going on. We have a lot of people that go door to door. Did you know that? A lot of JWs, we have Jehovah's Witness for those of you and, and Mormons that go door to door. And um, I just think they kind of show up at the door and they want to hand the Mormon Bible to you, but that's about all they have. They want to talk about Jesus. But I wonder what if we were people who showed up with some soda you know, what if we were people saying, welcome to the neighborhood, or hey, we want to learn more about our neighborhood. I wanted to bring you, what's your favorite soda? You know, what if we didn't come empty-handed? Hey, can I rake your leaves? Anybody having trouble with that? I've been battling that for two weeks. You know, hey, can I sit down with you? Can, can uh, you want to come over to my house? We need to learn to be good guests in this area, don't we? Why? Why is that important? I believe hospitality, by the way, is not just having people in your home but it literally translated in scripture means the love of strangers. So that means in their home, in your home, but when you meet in homes with the people around you, what happens? Witnessing, it happens in homes. I, I have a vision for our church, brothers and sisters, that people wouldn't come to church to get saved, but instead they would get saved at your dinner tables because you're mentoring them, discipling them. It wouldn't be, oh, you need to go talk to my pastor. What if it was, I can give you the good news and it can change your life right here, right now. What if we learn to be good guests who engaged the community? And by the way, that means not just showing up to get stuff, but coming to give. We talked about this last week. It's better to give than to receive, right? That's a principle in scripture. And so we in America have really practiced this thing called consumerism Christianity, where I come to get what I want. I come to get what I want. Is that being a good guest? No. What if we came to give? If you're here today at church and your goal is to just get stuff, don't just stay there. There's a transition in your relationship with Jesus where you go from, I'm coming to see, and then you go to die. Because remember, he invites you in to send you out. And then uh, as we continue on, I want you to see this is a very hard concept in Christianity that I've had to labor over for an, a number of years, and it's this. Jesus is not an enabler or a pushover. 
He's not an enabler and he's not a pushover. If you look in the passage, right? So he says, stay with them. And what happens if they don't receive you? What does it say? And they will not listen to you. When you leave, what does that mean? Shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. What does that mean? Well, it's kind of like wash my hands of this. Okay, it means wash my hands of this. It means to shake off or to cut loose. Um, Paul practiced this in Acts 13.51 in Antioch, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And because in Antioch, there were people that were springing up to persecute Paul and his crew. There's another aspect to this, and I want to set up a really important fence, but I want to read Acts 18, 6 through 7. Paul practices this again, where he shakes the dust off of his feet. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your, your own heads. I am innocent. The house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. So he then went to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Why is this important for us? It's important that we can shake the dust off of. And in college ministry, I used to say it this way. There are some people that it doesn't matter how much you invest in their lives. They will only continue to take. Have you ever been? Have you ever been that person that's pouring out into somebody? And there does come a time where the Bible encourages us to shake off the dust, but why? Shane, pastor, are you saying that there's some times that we should give up? I'm not saying that, but I'm saying there is a season or a moment sometimes where an investment in that moment is not a good investment because, because there are people, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. There are people that will receive the gospel and will run with you. And you can spend your whole life trying to sit with somebody who's never going to be convinced, but you can miss out on the people who are need the investment of the gospel and of Jesus. And so this is really important. We serve a God of limitless resources, amen? But we have limited resources. Therefore, we have limited time. We have limited investment. And so um, my mentor used to say, we have to be people who move with the movers and shake with the shakers. Meaning if you present the gospel and they light up and they go after it, you move with them, you disciple them, you pour yourself out into them. But if there's somebody, when you carry to them the message of repentance, like the disciples were, and repentance, by the way, means what? Change. And so if you're preaching the message of repentance and there is no change, sometimes it's little. So the danger about this principle of shake off the dust is that we would use it too early or too late. Can I get an amen on that? Some of you are like, I was just waiting to hear shake off the dust because there's 10 people I'm ready to cut off. I wanna caution you. But some of you are those compassionate people. I love you and you love others and you pour your heart over them and you can't see that all they're going to do is continue to take. Jesus does not have that for you. There comes a time and it's heart-wrecking when you have to let go and give them over to the Lord. You have to let go and give them over to the Lord. Did you guys get that caution? Did you get that caution? Make sure that you don't err on using it too soon or too late. But with wisdom, no. Because there is, a, in, in Acts, in Paul's time, there's a titious justice that's worth your time and worth your investment. This is a hard one, brothers and sisters, to know when 
And sometimes the best thing you can do for somebody is shake off the dust. Scripturally meaning that sometimes when you pull back, it requires them to make a decision, not for what you're giving them, but for who Jesus is. Because we carry the message of repentance and faith in Jesus, and that always produces in us change, doesn't it? Sometimes it's little, sometimes it starts small, but it does. He does not leave us the same. That's where we have to have a kind of a, a mentality like Paul says, a decision to reject Jesus is a decision to take responsibility for one's own eternity. I cannot force people to believe in Jesus, can you? I'm not smart enough to argue them into the kingdom of heaven. There has to be a place where we present the truth to them, we pray for them, but that age-old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't. Anybody hear it? You can say it. Make them drink. You can't make them drink. It's important for us to remember then as we transition Luke 22, 35 through 38, this was a short period of time where Jesus sends out the disciples in this way because in Luke 22, he shows us, and, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, but basically he says it's gonna be different. He said this was a short time. He was trying to teach the disciples how he sends and what he would provide, but he said in Luke 22 that there will be a change and you will find yourself in a hostile world where you're running for your life. Are we there yet? I don't think we are. I think now we can still practice the things that Jesus sent out the disciples, but there may come a day where we will, as Jesus said in Luke, have to pick up a sword and we have to act in crisis. And we need to be prepared for that. It would not always be this way for the disciples. There was coming a time that they would be on the run for their lives, fighting to survive. I don't think that's this day in the U.S., but I, it may come. And so I want to leave you with this, brothers and sisters, um, just to run through those points one more time. So what? What does that mean for us today? Would you commit to being part monk and part missionary? Part monk meaning that you spend time with Jesus, and it's not just church time, that Jesus is with you and that you have intimacy with him. What does that mean? You ever been impressed? Like, I go on dates with my wife, and I love dates with my wife because it's like we can finally talk without people screaming, I need, I need, I need, I need. I like how my daughter's looking at my wife right there. No. But there's a time where we need to set aside and spend quietness with because there's a sense when I do that with my wife that we feel connected. And when we go a long time without that, we feel disconnected, don't we? Many of you right now are sitting disc from the Lord. Be a monk. Sit down with him. Set aside time and then be a missionary. Go. Because the inevitable end of being a monk is being sent. Uh, questions to consider. What would a greater intimacy with God look like for you? What stands in the way of the way, I meant to say, in the way of you being sent? And what has living on mission taught you about Christ? Um, brothers and sisters, I'll have you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. Would you ask yourself these questions? Spend a minute in intimacy with God in the quiet. Would you stand with me now? I just thought this would be a really cool way to end today. Kind of this idea that we, we are the light of the world, that Jesus sends us into it, into the darkness, to shine his light, his glory. So would you sing this little light of mine with me?
this little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine this little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine this little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine let it shine let it shine let it shine hide it under a bushel no I'm gonna let it shine hide it under a bushel no I'm gonna let it shine hide it under a bushel no I'm gonna let it shine let it shine let it shine let it shine won't let Satan blow it out I'm gonna let it shine won't let Satan blow it out I'm gonna let it shine won't let Satan blow it out I'm gonna let it shine let it shine let it shine let it shine this little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine this little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine this little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine let it shine let it shine let it shine oh Lord Jesus I just pray that you would send my brothers and sisters here out into your world God with full assurance that you are going with them, that you will provide what they need, that you have their back, and that, God, they can know that they will encounter you in every conversation. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless them in your name, Jesus.